0: Hey guys, just a real quick note on this podcast. It's broken up into two parts. First part, I have Kyle Newbeck on to talk about his reporting of the Markel Fultz situation and to get his perspective. We then talk to Rich a little bit more about uh, the the team's play of late and where they're going from here. Uh, so first off, we have Kyle. Then after the break, we have Rich. This was recorded uh, before I left for the All-Star break. I didn't get a chance to put it together and post it before I had to fly out here to LA. It doesn't impact any of the content on the podcast outside of maybe our speculation on how much of it will, Joel Embiid will play in, and he ended up playing eight minutes in the Rising Stars Challenge. So just a, like I said, a quick note, first half Kyle, second half Rich on the play of the team. This episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Use promo code BEAT for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, on to the show. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek. I'm joined by Kyle and Rich on the latest Sixers Beat podcast, a part of the CLNS Media Network. How you guys doing?
1: Uh, it's been quite an ordinary week, Derek. Nice to talk to you today.
0: Everything about it has been ordinary. We, of course, talked about much of the Markel Fultz stuff on our radio show Tuesday night. You can actually check out Kyle's Twitter. You can You can download that episode. But we'll talk more about that today. Uh, we'll get into a little bit of the team's recent play. Five-game winning streak capped off last night uh, with a win—a 104-102 win—with a an incredible second half. We all joked at halftime that, you know, typically we've mentioned this before, you can't really see in press rows, so we tend to go back and rewatch a game. There was no interest in rewatching that second half, but then they came around and, and had the most unlikely of—I'm of, sorry—no interest in rewatching the first half. Then had one of the more unlikely second halves of recent memory. So we'll talk about a bit, a bit about the recent play as well. Maybe if we're completely and utterly bored, we might talk a little about a little bit about All Star Weekend. But we do have to start off with Fultz, and I guess we'll start off with Kyle's article. Over, I guess it came out Monday. Yeah, Monday, right?
1: Yeah, Monday morning.
0: So Kyle, why don't give us you know kind of the TLDR version of your report, and really focusing on the new information that we got out of it.
1: Okay, so I want to start with something that I thought was glossed over in the the public reading of the report. I included some details on the fact that Markel Fultz was shooting jump shots in late October all throughout November and in early December, all periods where the Sixers said he was hurt, he was out indefinitely, he was away from the cameras. Basically the public was led to believe that Markell was almost if not completely inactive then mostly inactive. But on and after the ver- his
0: after his agent said that he literally couldn't raise his arms.
1: Correct. On the on the exact same day that his agent put out a report that he couldn't lift his shoulder above his head, I was told by several different people that Markell was in the gym and getting shots up just fine with his His right arm, not his left arm, which we would later see him use in some weird practice setting. So that was takeaway number one was there was a lot of shooting going on that we don't know about. And so once you use that as the jumping off point, it makes everything else that has happened since so much more confusing, yet a little bit more clear at the same time. If you read their press releases in early December, early January, it very much reads like the Sixers think that Markell is on his way back, he's getting better, and he's improving. And that tracks with the team that is watching him shoot jump shots in private, even though we can't see him publicly. Internally, the Sixers are saying, look, Markell's back to a lot of what he was at Washington. He might not be the the same exact player, but a much better version than we saw when he played in training camp preseason and the, the first four regular season games that he was involved in. So they see him progressing. Then all of a sudden, when us three and the various other local media get access to Markell at the practice facility and before games starting in early January – We don't see that same progress that other team staffers and people around the organization and even people in Markell's camp, what they believe they have seen prior to that. So to me, that says a few things. Most importantly, that he has gone backwards recently compared to where he was a couple months ago. And that's a big deal because with the organization saying the problem here is a shoulder issue and a soreness issue, Logic would say if Markell got better from the health perspective in early December with more time and more effort towards rehab and just getting back out there on the basketball court, he would start looking more normal just naturally. It wouldn't be a thing where you have to rebuild anything. It would just, once he's healthy, it's it's full go. I mean, that's a pretty basic understanding of how health issues works. But that's not been the case, and other details that I included that sort of picked up a lot more was the fact that they've used VR training to give him just another look at what he's going through. I think a lot of people...
0: Am I the only one who immediately, when I read that, thought of the Ballers episode? Does anybody watch Ballers?
1: I do not watch Ballers. Guilty pleasure. It's
0: not a good show at all. But I, there's a, there's an episode yeah, who would have on it. I thought this? Derek there is, is the only episode. person of the three
1: yeah. of us who watches yeah. Ballers. Um so no, I have not seen that. I, yeah.
2: That detail clearly got picked up by the larger outlets. You yeah. know what I mean?
1: Yeah, so I think a lot of people seized on that, but to me that was just one part of the bigger picture that look there there are multiple things wrong with the situation. I, I never went so far as to say There was never any kind of shoulder thing. I think no matter who you talk to, people would at least say there's soreness or some kind of problem. But when you're putting a kid through virtual reality and it's not for reading plays and it's to get comfortable with mechanical things, I think that shows you that there are other problems at play here, and this is sort of a where we are today in mid-February is a cumulative effect of lots of different events that have transpired since, I guess, around late July, early August or so. So those were my big takeaways. I don't know if they coincide with what you guys have gotten out of this. I know that you've done various reporting on this as well, and have talked to different people, so I'm interested to see what you thought the big takeaway was from this whole circus.
0: Well, I think I think you know. First of all, going back to kind of like the progression of it, you can look at their press releases. You know, October 29th, he's doing PT. November 19th, progressing towards full basketball activities. December 9th, elevated on court basketball activities. January 2nd, uh, re- final return to play program, final stages, whatever. January 9th, 5-on-5. So you can clearly see the more optimistic nature of each press release there and the fact that the team thought he was making real legitimate progress in returning. And that jives with what you've said, that jives with what I was told and what I said. You know, as we got through December and as we got into late December, early January, the team legitimately thought he was on his way back to returning. And what happened from then until now is kind of the unexplained portion that I don't think you or I necessarily have the answer to. Neither of our, report, our reports really focused on that, not because it's not a huge story. It, of course, is. We just don't yet have that fully fleshed out. But I think that timeline, and also then the fact that he's been shooting the entire time, to me, if I was a fan, that would have been the, the, the biggest takeaway for me. And one of the things you kind of left open in the air is, well, they still don't know whether or not he changed, He, you know, they worked to make modifications to his shot in the summer. And that was kind of okay. So, I, I guess one thing I would say: people question because whenever you see a report, you always question anonymous sources. I get that; that's kind of the skepticism you should have as a reader. So, when yeah. two reports come out within two days of each other, you question that. You know, is this something that a a party involved is trying to get out? And I guess what I'll say is the timing isn't coincidental. It's more that I was working on a uh, a report of a much larger scope. And after yours came out, I crossed off 70% of my report. And that's why and, – and kudos to you for getting that, by the way. Um, but there was some overlap in what we were working on. So after yours came out, it's like, okay, there's no point in me releasing the report I was going to release. Let me fill in some details. And this is stuff – nothing that was in my report, which is basically that people who had been who, who had seen Markel Foltz's workouts over the summer saw a change in shot dating back to before his draft. And saw a desire to change his shot throughout August and into early September. And basically the fact that he then came to camp with shooting mechanics that weren't yet prepared to play basketball at an NBA level. And what I can say is everything that was in my report, and it's up at theathletic.com slash Philly. But everything that was in my report, it wasn't new information that I just got. That was stuff that I've had for weeks, if not months. It was more that the scope of my report changed. And that's why the two reports came out at the same time. So you should have a healthy dose of skepticism. I get that. But it's not as if there's a party involved that fed Kyle and I information at the same time. It's more that those two were connected because of the overlapping nature of it. And also what I'll say is I think a lot of people, when they look at things, they go, "Okay, well, there's two sides to every story. That's not really the way it works. Usually the way I like to phrase it, there's perspectives to every story and people with different perspectives and different motivations and different agendas, quite frankly, and that's not two, that's usually more like four or five or six or even more than that. And what you do is you talk to all these different perspectives, the player, the trainer, the agent, the doctor, the front office, the coaches, former players, other teams, you talk to everybody you can, you find out what commonality is in there, and then you dig in for proof. So never in a million years would I write this report based off of the word of the unproven word of one you know, one perspective of this story. It's just that's not the way it works. That's not the way I treat my job. I'm sure that's not the way you treat your job. There's far more behind the reporting than that. So, again, I get a healthy dose of skepticism when two reports come out within two days of each other like that. It is tied to your report, but not in the way that I think most people view it as.
1: Yeah, and I think transparently – some inside baseball for people who listen, like you and I have talked about a lot of this stuff and right. what we are learning all I, throughout the process. Uh, I joke this that was, if we,
0: if we worked at the same, uh, same outlet, we probably would have just combined the two and, and co-bylined it.
1: Yeah. It was very much a thing where, Hey, I'm hearing this, or I heard that. And some of it is just, it was at, we were at stages throughout this process of reporting the story where it's like, okay. I need to get more confirmation here, and you would say the same thing. Then it's a couple months later, and it's, well, we both are pretty much at the point where these stories are going to come out. And I, I know you and I were both sort of, i at least I was living in a bit of fear that you were going to beat me to this story. And, and by what you mean by that is when as I much.
0: asked about it the Friday before, you lied your fucking ass off.
1: Yes, I did, because I told you I was going to drop a story on Friday. You said, is it the Markel story? I said, oh, no, it's some other analysis thing. Monday morning, lo and behold. So I got to keep some of my cards close to my chest.
0: I was going to say, as much as we might have discussed things, that was the right play by you. Well done.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, look, you and I are are friends, and we're – we're close amongst the people on the beat, but ultimately, on a story of this magnitude, it's still a it's still a healthy competition. It's a very big deal, so um, I hope there's no hard feelings. But, uh, we'll yeah, see. I mean, getting back to this, st- <laughs> we'll,
0: we'll we'll let that one play out. You might never be on this podcast again, but we'll see.
1: Oh come on! <laughs> We've been doing this for too long to, to let this. There come there to are us.
0: many more stories to fight over.
1: Correct, but anyway, to get back to the story again, I, I think the critical thing here is that once the top, once the public timeline falls apart, without I don't have to give you the the, the perfect distillation or answer of what the problem is, Derek. I know you went more direct with the your shop mechanic story, but once you pull apart the timeline and say what they're saying is not what's happening, or it doesn't match what's happening internally. Then that opens up everything to just you are it's absolutely right to question the team, to question Markel, to question Keith Williams, the trainer, to question everybody involved in this process because when some when your stories contradict or conflict or don't match up with the evidence that's compiled from various conversations from people with all different agendas. That is, I mean, it's a tell that people are lying or that they're hiding things. So that I think speaks for itself. I don't necessarily need to draw a conclusion for anybody, but you can see how we may have gotten to where we are today based on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, you know, I just think that was something to address because so many people had that question. Um, yes, but certainly, and I mean, like I said, key takeaways, at least from my perspective. He was shooting the entire time. The team was really optimistic in mid-December, early January. Um, They've tried some innovative techniques to try to get him back to where he was. And the fact that, you know, people who had been privy to workouts with Markel, dating back to before the draft noticed a change in shot mechanics and uh, multiple sources who then saw workouts in August and early September. Again, you know, convey that as them trying to work on, on changes, changes to his shooting mechanics, and then also the fact that he came to camp and he just he wasn't prepared to play. Um, so those to me are the main takeaways. Though By no means does any of that mean that that is a full story. Uh, I think we still acknowledge that there is a huge, huge, huge story to tell on what exactly has happened between, let's say, December and now and what's taking so long and what the real progress is, how close he is, what we can expect when he comes back. So that's honestly right now probably the more important story, but also the one that's going to be a little bit harder to get. Um, but I mean, that, that that's pretty much what we have. I guess I will say, and this is before I let you go, because Kyle kind of has to run, Rich and I are going to record the rest of the podcast and I have to get going because I have to fly out to LA. But the question is, you know, how have they been working to get his shooting mechanics back? And this is kind of speculation because right now they're pretty tight-lipped about this. In fact, Brett last night uh, pretty much said he was done talking about Markel, or he thought it was best not to talk about Markel as much. Um, and they haven't really gone into the specifics of the drills they've been doing. But it almost seems to me, a month about a month ago we noted that we started to see him doing form shooting drills, kind of like what Nerlens did when he was learning how to shoot. And You saw him shoot from three feet away without the guide hand, which makes a lot of sense. It's kind of how a lot of people will go about building form That's why Steph, when he changed his shot going from junior varsity to varsity, said that he didn't leave the paint for for months at that time. But it almost strikes me, based on what we saw, based on how the the, the team conveyed his progress, that maybe there was a point, January-ish, I don't know, I'm just throwing it out there, where they said, look, the way we've been going about it and trying to get that form back to where it was, we're going to have to take maybe a, a, a step back, rebuild the base a little bit more and move forward and like I said nobody's I haven't been told this I'm kind of just speculating but it does almost seem like there was a a change at that point because he stopped shooting outside of the paint he started doing the form shooting and it seems like ever since then he's been creeping back to extending that back a little bit to the point where last uh last night it was uh, Zach Rosenblatt posted some some turnarounds which by the way turnarounds and pull-ups have always kind of looked better than the the standstill shots anyway but he, he he had some turnarounds that were a little bit outside of the paint, a little bit beyond the free throw line, and looked at least passable NBA jump shots.
1: Yeah, and I think there has, at the very least, by putting him into that process, I think there's been an acknowledgment of, okay, this is a much more serious problem than we treated it as when he showed up in September. Because the quotes in September made it seem like, Okay, we'll... we'll uh,
0: Slap a Band-Aid we'll, on this. you'll be good to go. Right,
1: right. I think I described it to you or somebody else last night. I said they thought it was something they could put a Band-Aid on when really it was more like an amputation. Like, it, they they had no idea that this was a problem to this degree. Brett Brown maybe, came mi- out and said... Maybe
0: not an amputation because we want him to get it back,
1: but... Okay, well, okay, they're going to attach a limb then. Let's let's put it that way. Um. So I think that Brett Brown came out and said, we're going to help him reclaim it and it'll take some work. But it did did not seem from an urgency standpoint that they expressed the level of concern that matches what we've seen happen since. And, I mean, it's easy to kill them for it. They certainly share blame in this because he's under their control for the last however many months here, four months, five months. And has not gotten a whole lot better. But at the same time, this is such uncharted territory that it's like, well, if a kid came back with a weird jumper and I was the coach, I don't know that my first thought would be, we need to completely rebuild it. And he's not going to be able to shoot anymore, especially when you specifically drafted him because of his jumper. So it's a very confusing situation that has changed a whole lot in the the months since they learned it was a problem, and I imagine there will be plenty of twists and turns in the months ahead.
0: Yeah, and look, I guess if I'm looking for an explanation on why it looked like he was making progress in December, mid-January it looked like he took a step back, and this whole thing has taken much longer than any of of us expected, changing his rehab and his his return-to-play program, if if you will, uh, changing it midway through, And now making progress now is probably the most optimistic of all the possible explanations rather than it's just taking this long. Like maybe taking the wrong approach at the beginning, now having the right approach and building up from there. That would be kind of the best case scenario.
1: Yeah, so – all right. Uh, one last thing before I go. I just want to say uh, we, you and I have taken some grief, Derek, in terms of, like, just leave the kid alone, all that stuff. I don't think any of the reporting that we have done, there's been no objective here for us to say we want this kid to fail or we're doing this to shame him or anything else. This, the, The entire reason these stories have come out and that Derek and I have been working on this stuff is because it's a story that is critical to the fans. It's something that the organization has clearly been a little deceptive on. There's been just a lot of stuff going on here that is, it is our job to report on what's going on and let people know this is what's happening behind closed doors, behind the scenes. And like personally, I would, I would love for Markella to come back and, be the really entertaining and tremendously talented basketball player that we saw at Washington. But this is not about wish fulfillment. I'm here to tell you what I know and what people are telling me and to we'll see how it unfolds from there.
0: No, I would say Kyle and i we we, we got uh, cursed at on the radio live on the radio the other day because we wouldn't call call Markel a bust. I think of of most people, we're probably. Much more in the wait and see and the recognizing his talent mode than maybe the average fan out there. We're certainly not rooting for Markell to fail. Um but we do have a story to tell. And thank you, Kyle, for jumping on. Uh you do have to get going, so we will let you go. Uh one final question, do you think he will um do you think he will play this year?
1: Uh, I do not think he will play this year just because there's no evidence recently to suggest that he will. I wouldn't rule it out altogether, but uh, if we're putting odds on it, I I don't think they're good. And I think it's a lot more likely that we're not going to see him return until next season.
0: All right. Thank you. And uh, after this short commercial break, we will bring Rich on. All right. We're going to talk to Rich about the team's recent play in a bit. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Are you like me, looking to buy tickets to the upcoming Phillies season? Perhaps you're out in L.A. for the NBA All-Star Game this weekend? Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy, with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. Opening day baseball has been a tradition in my family dating back decades. And when I went to buy tickets for opening day this year, I knew exactly where to look. SeatGeek. Not only could I find my tickets within minutes, but I always had the peace of mind that I was getting the absolute best deal possible. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, our listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app, enter promo code BEAT today. That's promo code B-E-A-T for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Hey, Rich. How you doing?
2: I'm good, man.
0: (laughs) You're, uh... Believe it or not, you were you were actually on the phone during that first uh, first half of the podcast, but we kind of let Kyle go because he had to he had to get going. I guess real quick before we get into the basketball talk, which we do want to do because I think we're all at this point a little burned out over the Markell stuff. Did you see the uh, Did you see the the videos posted by Zach last night before the game?
2: Yeah, I saw them this morning when you tweeted them out. Uh,
0: did you have any I- real opinions on them?
2: Well my first opinion was I've been showing up early for the games, uh, over the past couple weeks and it I basically every time I show up, it's the night he decides to not shoot before the game. <laughs> right. So yeah, uh as far as what I saw on, on video, he uh like I, I don't think it looks great, but it was outside of the paint and it did look functional at least a little bit. I, I will say it is really weird that his turnaround jumpers seem to look the best. Yeah. That a shot where you're you're spinning your body and you're basically out of control, how that looks better than literally just pulling up with your bas- uh, shoulder square to the basket.
0: Yeah. It, it would be a great question why. Is it maybe there's less thought when you're reacting like that? Is it maybe that's what he was more, you know, he did a little more of growing up. Maybe he always he always seemed like he used a dribble. Or two, to get himself in a rhythm. And maybe his muscle memory is just more formed than that, and it's easier to revert back to. It would be a really good question I'd love to get answers to. Um, but as Brett Brown kind of mentioned last night, he's he thinks it's best not to talk about Markell right now, which is understandable, I think, from the coach, um, yeah. especially when he doesn't necessarily have have all the answers. But, yeah, yeah. I thought on a but scale it- on a scale of one to ten, those jumpers may be a uh, six. And it's kind of hard to judge from the angle we had. We were the, his angle was kind of underneath the basket a little bit, or all, at least along the baseline. You'd prefer it to be on the side to get a little better, little better view of any hitch or or or, or pause or motion in that shot. But it, you know, maybe a five or a six on a scale of one to ten. Which, considering it's the first time we've seen seen him shoot outside of the paint in a month, I, progress, I guess. I'll, I'll give it progress. Yeah, okay, and.
2: In reference to uh, to Brett's comments last night, I mean, totally understandable why he wouldn't want to talk about it about it anymore. But two things: one, when the Sixers still have Fultz moving along as a possibility to play this year, yeah, you kind
0: of there's going to gonna, talk about
2: it. Yep. There's gonna be some interest. And then the other thing too, I mean, when Embiid comes out and says that he's not sure uh, the people around Fultz have his best interests. Uh, you know that that's certainly going to be a talking point
0: yeah and Uh, that that, that's what the question was about you know like does he have any concern that Embiid made these comments it wasn't even really about Fultz and his rehab but it seems like either he's shutting down or the team's shutting down him from talking talking about the subject which uh you know it's gotten a lot of of scrutiny lately it will continue to get more scrutiny and we'll see how long that embargo lasts but we'll see I, I will say I'm mildly optimistic like I said My wackadoo theory right now is kind of like they took a step back, maybe worked from the base up a little more than they had been, and maybe that's why he started off with that forum shooting, then within the paint, now moving slightly outside of the paint. Maybe that is indication of actual progress. I I think maybe at this point I'm just grasping at straws, naively optimistic, I don't know. But maybe there's a resolution in sight. Who knows?
2: Maybe you have a tinfoil hat on. I don't know. Uh, the uh, yeah, I mean for the Sixers, it's it's not just the All Star break; it's it's a Fultz break. So you know they'll, they'll get nine days or so with uh, without any talk about their struggling uh, first round pick. But yeah, it's it's certainly not the last we're going to hear about this this year, I would imagine.
0: Well, hopefully they have a chance to get their messaging on point and consistent over that time. Not always their strong suit, but. All right, moving on to play. They've won five in a row. Last night's game maybe the most probable of them all, certainly the most improbable of them all, playing a a relatively struggling Miami team, but also a, a team that's right there with them in the race for an Eastern Conference playoff spot. We're down 23 at the half, 24 early on in the fourth quarter, and just playing like absolute crap. Like, nothing about that game, with the exception of maybe rebounding, did they do well in the first half. I think they shot two for 14 from the field. They couldn't stop Miami. They couldn't stop turning the ball over. Nothing was really going their way. Then Dario comes out, drops 14 in the third quarter. New Sixer Marco Bellinelli comes out and drops 11 in the fourth quarter. Ben Simmons drops a casual triple-double. And before you know it, the Sixers came all the way back, built up a five-point lead late, held on by the skin of their teeth after a a made three and a, a really bad inbound turnover, which I swear anytime they're pressured on inbounds, it, it, it turns out shockingly oh my, bad. Oh my god, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it wasn't Covington this time at least, and it seems like it's Covington a lot of those times. But for a team that is really, really good scoring on out-of-bounds plays, they're really, really bad at getting the ball in, in when they're being pressured like that late in games. But they pulled this one out. Two-point win, five in a row, 35-20 and 20 at the break. Probably better, I think they're in the 70s. 30, 30 and
2: 25.
0: five. Thirty. What did I say?
2: 35 and 20.
0: That would, that would not be right. 30 and 25, correct. At the break, uh, pretty firmly, I think there are two wins up on the Pistons with two games in hand. So certainly they have a little bit of breathing room for the, the ninth-place spot. At this point, you have to expect a playoff spot, right? Like it would be a huge disappointment if they didn't get in.
2: Yeah, I haven't looked at what 538 and Basketball Reference have, but even before these last couple of wins, and even before this five-game winning streak, they were super bullish on the Sixers. Those uh, those models, because I think the main reason is because the Sixers, a, they had a better point differential than a lot of those teams, and b, they have an easy schedule on the way in. So, yeah, I like. Look, you got to keep the big fella healthy. That's you know, and he didn't play last night but if you can keep him at the same level of health that we've seen this year, yes, definitely expect a playoff spot and maybe hope for, you know, a mid-tier seed. Uh the uh last night's game was funny. I mean, the first half, that's about the worst half I've seen them play. Dreadful. Dreadful. I don't know since, probably since last year, right? I mean, I guess if you want to count the uh that Warriors second half, that that was pretty bad, but
0: that Toronto game know. maybe, the Boston second half in London, that was really bad. But at least but those that, were good teams.
2: Yeah, and it, it, those were good teams coming back against you too right. after you had demonstrated. So maybe it it didn't feel quite as bad. This was just getting jumped by a team that it, you know I don't think is – I know they're fighting for a playoff spot with the Heat, but I don't think the Heat are that good. Um, no, and they've come back they also, down to
0: earth. I think they've lost seven of the last eight.
2: Yeah, and I think they have a, a negative point differential too. They, I, I mean, it was it was tough. I mean, they didn't have Embiid, so I think that's what most of us thought was, man. I mean, you know, without Embiid, these guys. You saw Reddick take all of these rush shots. It, it was tough. The uh, I, I think I tweeted out early in the third quarter when they were down 24 points. Can we simulate to the end of this game? <laughs> yes.
0: I retweeted I, it right then. They went on the run right then.
2: I have received a lot of messages today <laughs> uh, making fun of that, which deservedly so. That's fine. Uh, I made a joke about how
0: they were only a 21 point play away from tying it, and then they <laughs> immediately went on a nine zero run. It was like,
2: all right, I deserve that one. Deserve that. The first half was so bad, but then, uh, you know, we never really got a good answer about this. You know, maybe they just did it naturally, but Simmons and Sarge came out in the third quarter with their hair on fire. They, they were just all over the place, just pushing the ball, trying to get easy buckets. As Sarich was fantastic. It, it was a great win. I mean, for all of the reasons, number one, you were down 24 points in the third quarter. How many of those big leads have the Sixers given away this year? To be yeah. on the other end of those ones had to be nice you know, for, the, for them and maybe even cathartic for Brett Brown <laughs> to come back against a team. B, you didn't have Embiid, and I mean, I expected a loss. You know, I didn't expect them to be down 23 at halftime coming into the game, but when you don't have Embiid, I mean, their their expectations drop a lot. And then to beat a team that you are jockeying for playoff position in the Eastern Conference, they could not have gone into the All-Star break with a better win, in my opinion.
0: No, and now you've beaten that team now twice in the last... Seven games, I think, six or seven games, which <laughs> is is very important. Um, not only to get the wins, but to give them losses. Um, this is the, and obviously the tiebreaker. I forget what did they do to them earlier in the year. I don't remember.
2: I think they they have two more games against the Heat. I
0: oh, do they? Is that the only two they played? Um, yeah. So you at least have road. a a good chance of having the tiebreaker over them. Uh, so big wins, really favorable schedule coming up it does all come down to the health of not only Joel Embiid, but anybody in that starting lineup. You could even add TJ into that mix because he can steal a game like he did against the Knicks. Um, they're, they're in a good spot, though. They're in a real good spot, which I guess brings us to the health of Joel Embiid and the mini-controversy right now over whether or not you would have him participate in All-Star Weekend.
2: So, yeah, this was a big thing last night. Big
0: thing. Huge thing.
2: Uh, I I guess to to talk about this, let's go back. I I don't think we've done a podcast since last week. So Saturday night, you weren't at the game, but I mean, me and Kyle were sitting there and when they brought him back after his knee appeared to buckle like that, we couldn't believe it. And I mean, you know, after the game, we kept asking him questions about it. And he eventually said, guys, stop asking about my knee. I'm fine. And, I mean, it appears that, that that it was. So, I mean, God, it, that fall did not look good at all, though. And when, when you combine with him running into the bench at the end of the third quarter, there was reason for concern. Maybe I just have uh, a form of Sixers PTSD after watching <laughs> him. I mean, it, it was the same exact thing as the Portland game last year, right? And, you know, for, for well, all think, the people. I, I think
0: the Portland game, he landed and slid, right? Am I remembering that right? Or was yeah, that the Houston game? I forget.
2: Yeah, it was it was a different type. The Portland game, he uh, he landed and it buckled and he came back, right? which was no good. And then the Houston game, he played and played really well, and then we didn't hear from him again. By the way, the one thing I will say from, from people, I I didn't think he was moving at completely 100%. Watch the tape back. It looked better than I thought, but still, I, I didn't think he was cutting exactly at that level. If you ever tell me, wow, he – He's playing well, or he looks great. Man, he scored 30-something points right. against the Rockets on a torn meniscus last year.
0: And started I, I the game off by, like, emphat- emphatically dunking on Nene's head. Dunk of the year. Yeah.
2: It, yeah, so I, I guess that's the reason. Okay, so n- now to mm-hmm. last night. The uh, the ankle has been the issue that's been bothering him for – how long has this been, would you say? Since the parade, right? So
0: Yeah, about, about there. About a, about week. a
2: week. Yeah. Uh, and that's what's been bothering him. And every night before the game, Sixers say the same thing: he's questionable. And th- this seems like one of those injuries that he makes the call. Uh, can I play through it? It's more of a a pain tolerance thing. Totally all right with that. So for I guess three games, you know, they they said he was questionable, and you know, ten minutes, fifteen minutes before the game. The news comes down, okay, he's ready to go. So last night, he wasn't ready to play. And I don't know why, um, you know, if something happened in the next game or, or whatever. And now there's a controversy over whether he should play in the uh, in All-Star Weekend. Uh, to that point, I'll say a couple things here. One, I would be a little bit surprised if he plays in the rookie sophomore challenge or or whatever it's called now. As you said last night when we were talking about this, you don't – if you make the varsity, you usually don't have to play the JV game. Right.
0: And I know he was voted in. I know he made it. But that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to play in it.
2: Yeah. And, I mean, with him, as long as he shows up I, – I remember he tweeted during the game last year. That was easily the most memorable part about it. <laughs> Well, the other memorable thing, which has kind of gotten lost on the internet, he he threw a a grape or or something into Dario's mouth, like a high arcing jump shot that Dario caught and basically cracked up the whole world team with. Those were the two most memorable things about that game. So I don't think he's going to play in that game. But even if he did, we need to talk about what these all star events are. I mean, he's in the skills challenge too on Saturday night. Right. Yes. Correct. So that's the itinerary. It's the rookie sophomore game, the. Skills challenge and then the regular All Star game. Me and you spend all a lot of time bitching about how terrible the All Star game is. <laughs> they don't try. It's it's literally just dunks and wide open threes. That is less stressful to, than a practice to go through. For sure. Yep. And and also too. Uh, maybe his ankle feels a little better right. a couple of days from now too. I mean, he's going to have, you know, at least three days on each side to, uh, you know, to, to get it better. And also too, like, is rest the only way to, to get the ankle better? Uh, obviously, you know, I, I mean, I, I sprained my ankle in high school. You had to do a lot of, you know, mobility training and stuff like that. It's not just putting your feet up and uh, and dealing with that when you sprain your ankle. So. I don't think this is a big deal. If he is good, he should play in the all star game. He earned it, yeah, uh, and he's gonna enjoy it. So there seems
0: to be almost a weird reaction from fans like that they deserve him to play on Wednesday, and if you can't give them that, then you don't get the reward of playing in the all star game, which is a weird reaction to me, but like a lot of fans seemed like really upset and really scorned that he didn't play in an important game. When that this is all about his health, it should be about his health. And look, Rising Stars Challenge on Friday, like you, I'd be a little surprised if he plays in that anyway. And don't even talk to me about the skills challenge on Saturday. Like that's not that's jogging that's not, through some cones. Right. That's not basketball. That's not that's less you know, less strain on his ankle than a, a, a frickin' walkthrough at practice. Like it's just not that's not who cares? So really what you're talking about is Tuesday off, Wednesday off, Thursday off, Friday off, Saturday skills challenge bullshit, and a game on Sunday. So you're talking Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're talking five days off.
2: And then probably Monday or Tuesday off, right?
0: Right. So if he's feeling better, if that five days off makes him feel better than the one day off he got Tuesday and he's good to go on Sunday, why in the fuck should a second-year player who had to sit out two years He's been working hard to get to this point. If his ankle is better, if there's no swelling, if there's no risk of re-injury, he should sit out to placate you, the fans? Like, that's just, that's absurd. Him sitting out was not done to get him ready for the All-Star game. Him sitting out was not done to get him rest for the All-Star weekend. Him sitting out was because he had swelling in his ankle, and they didn't think it was prudent to play him on Wednesday night. Nothing to do with Thursday, nothing to do with Friday or Saturday or Sunday. Wednesday night. And I will say, watching him warm up on Monday during his pregame, you know, pre- his pregame routine, I saw him grab his ankle a couple different times. And you wonder whether or not that was nagging him at the time. He played through it on Monday. But I do think there is something with the ankle. And like we said, if a couple more days off, he's ready to go for the All-Star game, he should, he should get that rewarded. It was a very, like, I think a lot of people... You know, I got everything from, you know, he's glass to he doesn't, you know, he's more interested in the All-Star game. It's nothing to do with it. He just, he felt like it, he and the team felt like it wasn't prudent for him to play that night. It's, he's played, before that, he played 17 of the last 18 games. He's been playing through these bumps and bruises. He's been playing through injuries. He's been playing, by the way, at a superstar level, even when his knee sores, even when his ankles soar, he's, he he's been producing night in and night out. He should play in the All-Star game if he's healthy. If he's not healthy, I agree, don't play. But if he's healthy and good to go, I have no problem with it.
2: I mean, it, it, the point boils down to playing an actual NBA basketball game is a lot more stressful than any of these things he's going to be doing this weekend.
0: Absolutely.
2: Uh, and, and it boils down to why I was concerned on, uh, on Saturday night. You know, if, if he's not feeling great, then why play him on a Wednesday night in February against the Heat? I know that's an important game, or why play him on a Saturday night in February against the Clippers? It just it doesn't make sense. And like you said, too, in general, you should be thrilled with how much he's playing. 17 of 18 games, he's playing back-to-backs now? Uh, Yeah, so, so that was a little bothersome, but I, I, I think we can probably move on from it. He he should play in the All-Star game. I am sure he... uh. He will be more excited than anybody else there about getting on that stage. That, that, that will mean something to him after all he's been through and how much he loves the bright lights. So, I, you know, this experience, while I won't be watching, you'll, you'll be there. Uh, while <laughs> It'll I be the first
0: All-Star game I've watched in years.
2: <laughs> while I won't be watching the game, uh, hopefully. Hopefully I have something better to do, anything. Uh he will – I think it will definitely be a positive experience for him.
0: It's a shame the Sixers didn't get anyone in a three-point shooting contest because that's the one I still enjoy watching. But um, They should let him do it. Oh, he'd get through like a rack and a half. Oh, it'd
2: be hilarious. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, cool. I mean, I guess – any thoughts on Bellinelli's debut?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote about it today for The Athletic. You can check that article out there. Um, he – would you? He, he, here was my thought when I was writing this last night, and I was watching the game back. Would you be surprised if that was the best game that he plays as a Sixer?
0: No. And you look at his all-around contributions—very Bayless-esque. No assists, one rebound, two turnovers, That's something a- like that. Um, it was great because his shots were going in. What, he was, what was he? Three for five from three, or something like that. So we love it, and he certainly gave them a shot in the arm in the uh, in the second half. But do you have necessarily the most well-rounded bench player available to you? No, not really. Um, I guess it's good that, like, if he has an off night, you can yank him early and try somebody else. And if he's on, he can win you a game or at least help you. But he's a – you know, th- there's a reason guys like that are available for sure.
2: Yeah, and I, I guess on the positive note, the uh, when he's at least average or, or he's on – that is a scorer who can juice your bench. Yep. Uh, when you played him, and and honestly, I think of him, you know, going into the game, he, he's clearly and and Brown said this last night that he's going to run the same exact plays that he runs for Redick for Bellinelli. And I sort of thought of him as all right. JJ comes out, bring Marco in. They had a lot of success last night with those two playing oh, together. Yep. Yeah, and you know when they run those dribble handoffs for Reddick and Embiid. On the other side, they have action that, you know, they they usually run for Bayless or Anderson or, you know, frankly, even Covington who's struggling too, where where you're not really that concerned about it as a defense. All right, if that's Bellinelli flying off a couple screens, you at least have to keep a watchful eye on that end of the court. So, yeah, it's just another element that the Sixers will have. Like, you know, when I wrote that today – the main thing I was trying to convey is, okay, this is going to be one of his better games. Like, <laughs> right. I'm not saying the, the bench problems are completely solved or all hail Bellinelli, he is, you know, the best bench scorer in the league. But but it does give them another option in an area where, uh, you know, they, they were lacking. And, it, you know, I think you're going to see a lot less of Bayless now.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the very least, over Bayless, he has a little more of that off-screen gravity, which I do think has – a lot of value, especially like you said, on weak side off ball. Like you, you have to pay attention to him a little bit more. Another option late in games uh, as a free throw shooter. He was shooting like ninety three percent, I think, for the Hawks. Of course, they tried to get it to him late in the game and weren't able to do so successfully. But in theory, if you can get the ball inbounded, he is a reliable option there. And with Redick and and Dario there as well, they have a you know they should have some good options for late game free throw shooters. But Yeah, he's not – I wouldn't look at him and say, okay, well, he's going to be your consistent spark off the bench. He's going to consistently give you what he did last night. But hopefully he – you know, you have a couple of of hot games where he can steal you a win or put you in a position where you can maybe pull out a win you shouldn't have otherwise done so. And, uh, hey, you got him for free. You didn't even have to give up second-round picks. There's no no real room to complain.
2: The Sixers have stolen a couple wins with their bench players this week with uh, with TJ's performance on Monday night. Now, I mean, to say they stole that win, I mean, they, they would have won probably anyway, but to, to have TJ terrorize the Knicks again was huge too. So, yeah, I mean, to go in, they talked about wanting to go 5-0 and on this stretch, and I think like you said earlier, you know, we talk about Fultz a lot, and deservedly so, that is one of the strangest situations going, and it's not it doesn't even look like it's close to being resolved yet. But the team on the floor is playing really well, and they're in a good spot. Yep. Should uh,
0: should certainly make playoffs in my mind. Should be able to compete in the first round. Can they win? It obviously depends very much on, on the matchup.
2: I, I was thinking that they're, they're basically trying to play no whammy with Cleveland, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. can get Boston or Washington or even maybe Toronto. Milwaukee sneaks up or something. Toronto. Toronto's I, I a real put, good team. They're a real yeah. good team. I think they'd lose to Toronto. But if you could find a way to get Boston or, or Washington, that could be an interesting series.
0: Yep. Uh, they certainly have a matchup not many, not many opposing teams are equipped to deal with, which, uh, which always gives you a puncher's chance, as does a consistently good defense, which I checked since, uh, since Christmas Day. They have the number one defense in the league. Not like, you know, we used to say, oh, they had the number one defense when Embiid plays. No, they had the number oh. one defense in the league. Um, all
2: those Jared Bayless minutes, they still got it. <laughs> that's
0: uh, uh, pretty incredible.
2: It's pretty incredible. I, I want to mention one more thing, too. We talk about how good he is all the time. Ben Simmons is awesome. Yep. <laughs> he And by the way, uh, Donovan Mitchell is getting a lot of hype for Rookie of the Year. He's having
0: a great season.
2: he He's is, not the Rookie of the Year. Fantastic. I think he could be a borderline superstar level player. He's not as good as Ben Simmons is this year. No. It just the I mean, think about let, let, let me see his line. He had 18 points, 12 rebounds and 10 assists last night. That was just organic. He's not even trying to get these triple-doubles. Like when you would see Rayon Rondo back, you know, a few years ago get these triple-doubles, he'd be just you know, he'd be going all out for these rebounds, or Westbrook, or something like that. Then just gets these easily, and i i mean, you know, we talk about the offense. God, his defense is so good.
0: Yep. No, what, yep. Westbrook last year was the worst, and that—that's why. That's part of the reason why it, triple du- double designation is completely dumb. Like it's yeah. absolutely absurd. It's just completely arbitrary cutoff on three different statistics, where for some oddball wackadoo reason we'll say you know a 16 10 and 10 game deserves that designation but a 32 8 and 8 game well you missed the cut uh and that leads <laughs> to some rebound chasing some assist hunting that isn't necessarily like you said within the flow of a natural game but Ben's have been the, probably the ben, I think Ben's up to six triple doubles the only triple double that probably was not within the flow of the game was TJ the other night against the Knicks when he got <laughs> well first of all when he he took a pull up jump shot which TJ doesn't do and then he he chased out one rebound. Um but TJ deserved it. I'm glad he got it. But uh did, that that was not quite the, as natural as Ben.
2: Did you see the video of Brett after the game? No. So it, it, the Sixers have done this, which I think is smart by the way. The, the Eagles have done this for years. They show their, you know, when there's a big win, they show the bell locker ringer. room yeah. celebration afterwards. And yeah, this was uh he was given the bell to TJ and Brett said uh have you ever seen somebody go after a rebound fucking harder than that <laughs> uh, which was great, and then t j got got mad, somebody poured chocolate milk onto him, so that that seems to be going well.
0: I saw one the more... chocolate milk part. I did see that one also one I saw per... the the daily news cover, which was fantastic.
2: fantastic. he's such a troll. <laughs> one more note on last night's game. The sixers just played harder than the heat in the second half, yep. And the the real reason, uh, or the real place you can see that they rebounded forty seven percent of their. Misses. I know. <laughs> Trevor Booker, uh, Holmes were just awesome. I mean, they they were relentless on the board. Simmons too. Yeah.
0: In the second half, they out rebounded them thirty one to nine. Thirty. Now, part of that is that the Sixers made a whole lot more shots than the Heat did. Um. But not that many, man. They shot nine for thirty-five for the game from no, three. I know, I know, I know. But they, uh, they destroyed them on the glass. Destroyed them. It was it, it was, it was, and they destroyed them in the first half too. Uh, even when the Sixers were missing shots and the the Heat should have had real easy offensive rebound or defensive rebound opportunities. Also, real quick before we head out, we gotta we gotta at least acknowledge how absurd Dario Sarge is playing. Absurd.
2: Fantastic. Uh, and, you know, it's funny. He uh, – one of my favorite subplots of the season that, that we get sort of behind the scenes is after the game, you know, the, the three or four best players are, or if it's MB and he doesn't play well. I mean, he he always talks. But, you know, among the bid players, who plays the best, they'll usually talk at the uh, sort of makeshift podium the Sixers have in their locker room. You can get other people at their lockers if you want. Uh, Dario, he does not like talking to big groups. I, I figured out recently. Pretty good one-on- one though He's very good one-on-one. I mean, I, that honestly might be the easiest thing I wrote all year, just transcribing his stuff. He, uh, but he doesn't like talking to big groups, but he's, he's good-natured about it. you know, he's, he's a little grumpy, but he's not, you know violent or anything about it. So he has been getting called up to that podium a lot recently because, as you said, he has been freaking awesome. And every night, he's been awesome. So a couple nights ago, he got in an argument with a couple of the PR people who wanted him to go up to the podium. He basically said, I didn't play that well. What? <laughs> I shouldn't have to do this. And I looked down at my phone just to, to check the uh, the box score. I think he shot 4 of 6 from 3 and 8 of 11 from the field <laughs> for eight, for 18 points uh, <laughs> with may, maybe like eight, 8 to 10 rebounds. He was awesome. And and he's sitting there, well, I don't want to talk about this. I, I I didn't play that well. And uh, he's been great. He's, he, he's had to go to the podium pretty much every night because he's just been so damn consistent.
0: He got up there the other night and he was kind of grumbling about it. He goes, okay, you got three questions, three questions. And he, of course, ended up taking more, but he, was, he, he has a little bit of a playful side to him like that. Over his last 22 games, 17.6 points, 6.9 rebounds, 2.9 assists. Really good numbers until you get the percentages. 48.9% from the field, 46.2% from three, 94.9% from the line. Those numbers go from really, really good. To absolutely fucking incredible because he's he doesn't have the biggest role on this team. Not with Ben Simmons, not with Joel Embiid, not with eventually Mark Fultz. He has to be able to find a way to be effective in the role and with the touches that he does get. And to be putting up that kind of efficiency as a third or fourth option, that is so much. Like, if you would have listed out all the things that you could take away positive from the season, Embiid healthy, obviously number one. Playing at an, a borderline MVP level, obviously a huge deal. Ben Simmons looking like a legitimate all-star year one. Huge deal. Dario Saric taking that step into being a hyper-efficient role player? Enormous. Enormous.
2: And, and as we saw last night, when it, Embiid is out and he needs to do more, he's happy to do that too. I mean, he was hunting shots last night. But yeah, he... You know, we, we question it coming into the air. Could he could he fulfill this role where he, he doesn't get the ball that much and he needs to be an efficient shooter? And so far, this is about as good as you could ask for.
0: Yep, absolutely. Always always believed in Dario. Questioned the fit a little bit. Looks like he's answered that question. So he's a he, he's a very key piece. He's a very key piece.
2: Um, and also, I mean, to your original point about. How well the Sixers are defending. You know, we we worried about the fit with Simmons and him defensively.
0: Well, you've got two pretty not so great defenders in there, and Dario and and JJ. Hey, fucking hey, they're still the best defensive team in the league.
2: They're fine, yeah.
0: When you when you got three studs like Simmons, Covington, and Embiid, alongside of those two guys, you can do a lot. You can do a lot. And the fact that we can we can lump Simmons into that group, another fantastic development, just huge. Yep. Shoot. He, blanked, of, he, he blanketed D-Wade, and again, D-Wade's old D-Wade, but he blanketed him last night.
2: We thought that last shot was going down, though.
0: Oh, it was, 100%. Look, Ben contested it, but it was a straightaway <coughs> three. Wade got it up. It looked on target from where we were sitting. and who boy, has that, that three gone in a lot of times over the last few years. I, I feel on, like they're shooting 90%. On that, hoop,
2: yep. on that hoop, that three has gone in all the time <laughs> right. on that.
0: Yeah. The the, uh, Super Bowl mojo continues. Yep. Uh, All right. That's all I got. Yeah. Me too. All right. Well, thanks for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. All
2: right, man. I'll see you. You've been listening to the Sixers Beat right here on LibertyBallers.com and
1: LibertyBroadcast.co.